Oh, hi, I'm Mason Gardner, and thanks for joining me on the What Connects Us podcast, where we explore human connection with people in the province. Today, we're joined by Chelsea Peterson, who's going to tell us all about what she learned from her own tussle with bankruptcy. You won't want to miss this. All right, it's episode three of the podcast, and I have some exciting news. We're officially over 1,000 streams. And I'm learning how to use the soundboards. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. And if you're back for more, thanks for joining us again. We're just getting started, but it's been a treat so far. Speaking of treats, it's the week of Halloween, and you can't mention treats without talking about tricks. And we all know that 2020 has thrown us a few of those this year. Yes, this week's guest has been through the ringer this year. And on top of dealing with COVID-19, her business went bankrupt just before the pandemic hit. I'm excited for you to meet Chelsea Peterson, who was the co-owner of Coda and Kate, a local clothing store in Regina who saw a ton of success for over a decade Chelsea is one of the most well-known entrepreneurs in the city and is known for her friendly spunk, her fearlessness, and for refusing to let the city settle for being known as traditional. Unfortunately, though, with risk, you open yourself to potential financial hardship, and Chelsea will tell us all about the story of the rise and fall of Coda and Cade, her journey with bankruptcy, and the impact it's had on her. I'm recording this intro after I've chatted with Chelsea, and I can say for absolute certain this is the most vulnerable a guest has been with us yet, and I truly admire how fearless Chelsea is in opening up to talk about a very personal story that will allow us to learn a lot about a topic that is taboo for a lot of people. Bankruptcy is very real and more common than you think, and Chelsea will shed some light on what the process is like both technically and emotionally. What connects us to Chelsea? Let's find out. Hey, Chelsea, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Mason, thanks for having me here. Thank you for joining us on this patented, brisk Saskatchewan fall day. Are you a fall person? I like fall for one week. One week? Yeah, for one week, I'm like, oh, I love fall. It's my favorite <laughs> season. And then it gets cold and I'm over it. Well, that's all we get in Saskatchewan is one week of fall anyway. It's so, oh, it's already snowing. This morning, I, I left my house and it's snowing. In mid-October. Scraping my windshield is the worst. Yeah, I remember as a kid, it was like, if we can make it to Halloween with no snow on the ground, it is a win. Yep. And we're we're not quite there yet. Um, so before we get started, I know you have a lot going on right now between your career transition and being a mother of two beautiful children. How have you been navigating this new normal with COVID-19? Oh, it's been weird. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, we closed our business right before... COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And so we sold off our inventory in like five days, sold our fixtures in a week. I had a week to like clean the space before I handed over the keys. And I wanted a month to just, with my new employer, I was like, can I just take some time off? Yeah. I need to just meditate. Decompress. Yeah. And be myself. And I didn't get that. So the kids were like at home and I'm not a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. I love my kids to death, right. but Staying at home with them was hard. Their right. schedules were changed and Coulter was working at home. I was trying to navigate this weird world and I was so exhausted emotionally, yeah. physically. I have to admit it was really hard. And how old are your kids? They're three and one and a half. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, they're super busy. And Leo, our youngest, who's one and a half, he will die if I don't <laughs> watch him every right. second. Like he is so Like you leave bad. the room and he like... 
combusts. Yeah, he like sticks his fingers in electric sockets <laughs> and all the things that a kid could do bad. Right. That's him. So it was really it was really hard. So yeah. I'm happy to be back at work for many reasons. Is it something I'm not taking for granted? Because totally. I know this time a lot of people there are people who aren't working. Totally. And so I'm pretty grateful to be back. For sure. Uh, so give me a quick introduction. Who is Chelsea Peterson? Give us some background on who you are so we can better understand your story. All right. So I am born and raised in Regina. Nice. I went to school in Lethbridge for fashion design and marketing. And oh, cool. when I came back to Regina after that, I worked, um, I just got on a job with Coda Clothing and Shoes, mm-hmm. a local clothing boutique. And from there, I started or I co-founded uh, Saskatchewan Fashion Week mm. and ran that. I was involved for the first seven years. And we in that time frame, we also opened I had bought into the company I worked for. We opened two more stores after that. And then we opened another shoe store. So I've had owned four different uh, stores in yep. the city. And then we and we recently closed them so right. that's a little bit and then i i'm <laughs> a, a teaser mo- i'm a mom, mom of two and yeah. yeah that's me in a nutshell i'm excited to get into this i remember when sask fashion week got started it was like really or saskatchewan fashion do they do they mix and it's like everybody jumped on it everybody was so excited to experience just a week of not your traditional saskatchewan like Canadian tuxedo, but be able to jump into something else. That's also so awesome that you brought that to us. Yeah, thanks. I definitely like bringing the unexpected to Saskatchewan. That's really fun, pushing the limits, getting outside our box a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so when I moved to the city, Coda was such a prominent force in the city. Uh, give me the history of Coda and how you got involved. Yeah. So uh, my partner Coulter, he started the company. It would have been 13 years ago and we were friends at the time and he needed a, a women's buyer. He had no idea how to buy women's clothes. <laughs> yeah. I was going to school yeah. at the time for fashion and I was like, take me on buying trips. I will work for free. I just want the experience. So right. my instructors were super awesome at letting go on trade show buying trips. And I was so grateful for the opportunity. And then when I, I had planned to come back to Regina, Coulter needed a manager. So I'm like, well, I'll do it. I, I like the store. And I just fell in love. I didn't go to school intending to necessarily be in retail, right? but I loved it a lot. And so I stuck around and um, I was there for five years and then bought into the company. Awesome. So what was, you said that you didn't plan on coming back to be a manager. What was the dream or what did you go for to Lethbridge and wanting to come back to do? I really wanted to do costume design. So whether oh, cool. television or um, theater, yeah. like my dream jobs would have been costumes for Degrassi. Yeah. Um, and of course I would have a cameo. <laughs> yeah, right? for sure. And or like costumes for Cirque du Soleil would oh, have been cool. like my dream job. Yeah. And who knows? Life is. I think Degrassi is still going on at this point. So there's always that on the table for you. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, So what was it like when Coda was at the top of its game? So tell me a little bit about how the community got involved, because it was like, like I said, it was a force when I moved to the city. Everybody shopped at Coda, whether or not you were um, like a young professional or you needed a new T-shirt for the bar scene. It seemed everybody was going yeah. to Coda. What was that like when Coda was at the top of its game? We were a really small, like 800 square foot store at the time. Um, I often worked by myself, but we did have such a super awesome staff. And we were young and could be out and about all the time networking right. and um, I think our fashion shows really lit the fire for 
our energy. Right. And we were very involved in the community. We did a lot of different events, whether it was kids sport or our fashion shows were always fundraisers for, right. um, for different organizations. Yep. And that kind of led to fashion week also because there was, you know, this experience and people really craved this new thing that right. Regina hadn't really seen before in that context. And yep. And like growing up, there was nowhere to shop. Everyone traveled right. to shop. Yep. And it was it was fun to just finally like young people doing something unique and different. Totally. Like life after skateboarding and just, you know, like a really new aesthetic for people. Yeah. So yeah, the energy was really, really fun. Yeah, it was that perfect mix of stylish clothing, but also supporting local. It was yeah. just a fun brand to be involved with especially in the city definitely the community really supported us i felt um a lot of love in the few first few years absolutely so eventually coda made some expansion moves tell us a little bit about what they were and how did you make that decision to expand yeah great question so when we first started coda we um yeah we had that life after skateboarding really um like street vibe mm -hmm. to us and we were really lucky to be able to get a jordan sneaker account and in that world, like the sneaker world was exploding right. and it really had an underground vibe to it. Mm -hmm. We found at the time, our first few years of business, we really catered to men. And in retail, if you know anything about fashion or retail, our numbers were opposite of what they should have yeah. been for female versus male. So our first expansion move, um, they were very, very close, but we've, so we opened apartment 3B, which was an underground sneaker store. So cool. we took out all of the sneakers and the super, um, you know, street or hip hop influenced brands mm -hmm. and put them into this underground sneaker shop. Mm -hmm. And then we also opened a women's store, which brought out a, all of our women's Coda was just men's. Mm -hmm. And we opened Cade Style Lounge, which had also more of a high end contemporary vibe when we first opened. Right. And very soon after making that move, I think that's the year that we kind of started seeing consumer behaviors change. Right. And we thought we could, you know, get through it and mm -hmm. be, we always wanted to be bold and take risks and add to the vibrancy of our city. Right. And it didn't work. Right. So, and Cade, the building we were in was too big mm -hmm. for Cade. Coda was still too small for Coda. Right. So it was kind of the perfect mix to move Coda into Cade. So it became Coda and Cade. And right. there was... We split the store in half, men's on one half, women's on the other. Right. So the original intent was let's specialize these stores a little bit. So apartment 3B had sneakers and more of that underground skate shop. Then you had Coda, which was like your traditional men's wear. And then you had Cade, which was the women's side. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah, exactly. So what did you, how did you make that leap to be like, this is going well, I'm enjoying this and the community seems to be buying into this. How did you make that choice to make that leap to to try those expansions because that seems pretty intimidating i'm not sure we really took too much time to think about it yeah we kind of just sat on it for a few months and and just went for it right we really at the time we didn't have anything to lose mm -hmm. you know we were growing quite fast and um we saw the opportunities and we thought we had the procedures and the policies to just replicate a retail experience yeah and we learned very quickly that managing three stores between the two of us was really hard. Tough, hey? You're basically tripling what you were originally doing, hey? Yeah, 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 exactly. We just created more work and kind of just split the sales. Right. Yeah, that's really. true. Yeah. Um, after we opened Cade, though, 
our women's sales grew exponentially. Yeah. So I think in the women's world, it was definitely a good idea. And yeah. we had ended up just moving because we were moving men's into Cade anyways. Right. We closed apartment 3B as well. Mm. So we moved all the sneakers into one location. Gotcha. So you talked about how consumer preferences changed. Tell me a little bit about what that means. Yeah. So when we first started, Instagram was just like a blip on the radar. Mm-hmm. And so it was Twitter. It was very, very new and it was very easy to be seen for free. Mm-hmm. So we really took advantage of marketing and we our marketing budget was our fashion show budget, right. you know? So it was easy to be seen in the community when we first started. And then online shopping existed, but it was still very small. People right. still wanted to shop with people and touch the clothes and try them on and yeah. were really hesitant to sh- buy clothes online. Within five years, that changed quite a bit Mm -hmm. and then from like year five to eight it trained it changed drastically yeah it seemed like you went to bed one day and the next everybody was online shopping before you would go online to see if they had them in stock and then you would go in to see how it fit it all of a sudden became so convenient to order it online ship it back if it doesn't work order another size and like thanks amazon (laughs) that's yeah the time frame of People doing online shopping poorly, like the big players, was like it was overnight. All of a sudden, everyone had it figured out. And it was so hard to compete with the Nordstroms and the Bays. And Amazon wasn't a huge factor for us. It would have been, though, if we were still in business, I think, right now. Right. It would be. Yeah, especially right now during COVID-19, hey? When did you start to sense a change in retail? And when did it start to impact Cade or Coda and Cade? Um. Slightly when we decided to move Coda and Apartment 3B into Cade. Mm-hmm. Um, but a few years after that move, we decided to open a high-end shoe store mm-hmm. as well. So that was called Souls of Whitmore. And we saw shoes as a category growing a lot. But mm-hmm. we also saw, again, a huge hole in like the higher-end market for men and women. We right. really didn't have any good shoe stores at all. And this was before Swank Shoe Lounge came to Regina and before we had like the DSWs and all the Marshalls. Yeah, before it was like... St- for check yeah, <laughs> sneakers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. It. So we really thought there's a lot of older people who had disposable income who liked high-end, good quality shoes. Right. And they were constantly in our store looking for them. So we're like, oh, well, they'll for sure buy them from us. Yep. But once we opened, we realized like all these people were going down south and buying all of their shoes and clothes on their vacations and in their summer homes. So like down south being like the States. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like living in Scottsdale or Palm Springs. Oh yeah. And shoes is a different thing to try in a market like Regina because instead of buying three or six of something, you have to buy 12 to get a whole size run. So our investment, and then we were investing in shoes that were retailing at four to $700. That was a big financial commitment. And after we opened that, and then that year too, we also, um, Coulter and I started dating and we had our first, got pregnant with our first baby. Wow. So that was a A lot. Like (laughs) if you mix in like, you know, the new business, new life challenges, new consumer behaviors, it was just a whirlwind of a mess. We thought we learned some lessons and we definitely did learn some lessons and something's better at Souls of Whitmore. Right. Yeah, I think in theory, Souls of Whitmore was a good idea. And I probably would have done it again just differently. So what would you have done a little bit differently then? I probably would have looked for investors Mm -hmm. to have a little bit more of a cushion because the biggest thing that the shoe store did for us negatively was affect our cash flow. Yeah. So it, it affected 
how Coda and Cade ran. So Coda and Cade were doing great right. when we opened, but we had opened as one company because we Coda had a backing and experience and references. Right. So we were able to get, we thought we needed those references in order to get some really high end shoes that were harder to get if you're right. just Joe Schmo opening a new store. Yeah. So we thought we needed our experience in order to get those lines. And if I did it again, I would just start a whole new business. Yeah, totally. Because you were doing well in one aspect and you had all your buying cycles ready and figured out. But then your cash flows were all over the place because you had to, not that you were bleeding money, but you had to make sure that you were handling things over here and it got to the point where... No, we were bleeding money. You were bleeding money. Yeah, they want to say, say that. that. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. How's that feel? Like to watch something that you so believe in and you're so ready to get behind, watch it sort of sink and bleed money a little bit. What's that like? It was hard with Souls of Whitmore, but we were so distracted with Edie that it just felt right mm -hmm. as just like, you know, just our family dynamics. Yeah. It felt right. But the end of closing Coda and Cade was different. Right. It was really hard. So take me to how you started to make that decision to not just close Souls of Whitmore and Apartment 3B, but um, Coda and Cade, which is your baby. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Well, we ran Souls of Whitmart just for a year. Right. We didn't give it much of a chance. Yeah. We were just like, no, we're done. Didn't work. Didn't work. Move on. Move on. Um, and then picking up the pieces from Coda and Cade was just slowly. Like, I was very, very determined. At yeah. that point, uh, Col Coulter, my partner, started checking out. Yeah. And he started looking at going back to school and just doing something completely different. Right. And which I was very supportive of. And I just love retail. So I wanted to keep going. Yeah. And... The Christmas before, so it would have been December 2019, it was just everything was tanking. Everything was really hard. Yep. But we had, I was back at work comfortably after having our second baby. And mm -hmm. I was very career oriented. Yep. And I said to Coulter, like, everything in our life is great. Like, we're good. Our kids are healthy. All the things that are really important to us are fantastic. And he's like, that's great. Then what do you have to lose? Like, go for it if mm -hmm. you want to take over this. And that September, he had left Coda and actually had got a job at Conexus. Right. So he was he had already made a career change, yep. and it was easier for us to just be like, let's fix this if right. you if this is what you want to do. And I was so up for the challenge. Yeah. It wasn't a week later of having that conversation that we were done. Really? It, it was crazy. Like I was gung ho literally until the very last day. I had taken one week off work during Christmas time, which I had never done in right. 12 years. I was so burnt out, but I'm like, I have the kids. I'm not working boxing day. Yeah. And I was in doing payroll and just staring at the numbers and we had a cash flow sh Excel spreadsheet yeah. and we we're constantly moving checks and calling people being like, can you cash this next week instead? Right. And, you know, like I was just staring at this cash flow analysis and I was like, this is, this isn't worth it anymore. Exhausting. And it, I had never had, like we had, Coulter had brought up multiple times. We had started an advisory board and somebody on our advisory board had said, hey, have you ever considered closing or filing for bankruptcy? And I was like, no, that's not why you're here. Like yeah. you're here because we want to fix everything. Right. Um, that's not an option. Yeah. And it was like just a few few months later, I just was looking at the numbers. I'm like, I we're done. Yeah, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's got to feel so sinking. Yeah, it was crazy. I have two mentors in this world and um, I called both of them. One of them was in Mexico. One of them was like called me and was like, let's go for lunch right now. Yeah. And I was, I was a wreck. I was in tears and I 
it was it was my baby my first baby yeah. it, it meant a lot to me it was really easy for some it's easy for some business people to just be like okay this isn't working close shop next try and for me in that moment i i wasn't there i was very depressed i yeah. was very hard on myself for failing and i felt like i was letting my staff down and my community yeah. and the city like if we weren't there what what is that saying to entrepreneurship right. and i ended up getting diagnosed with um adjustment disorder which is a oh. form of anxiety and depression and right. i had to be medicated for the first time in my life i'm like this is it felt like a massive failure yeah it was so so hard i was not healthy and that probably goes to show too that i wasn't healthy going into it right and it was for sure time so what is adjustment disorder tell me what a little bit more about that well, that's that a topic for a different podcast yeah. i think <laughs> um Essentially, so you had forms of like anxiety and depression and it shows up in times of major change. Yeah. So I said to my psychiatrist, I was like, I, this is silly diagnosis. I, this is just life. Yeah. And she's like, yes, but life happens to everybody and you should still be able to sleep and you shouldn't be having panic attacks. Yeah. And I was, I had almost been hospitalized. I had like right. three panic attacks in a week. Yeah. Like that's not a healthy lifestyle. Totally. And it must feel just completely frustrating, but your world is caving in on you. Like it must feel like everything that you had like worked hard to achieve was just going to be taken away. Then what? Hey. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So I find that word bankruptcy, we, there's such a stigma around it. I think it's like from growing up playing Monopoly, things like that, like bankruptcy equals game over, you lose. It has such a negative stereotype towards it. When your advisor said, have you ever thought about bankruptcy and approached that conversation with you? What did that feel like? Like, what did that word like stand out in your mind as? The first time that word got brought up in context to our business, I just, I just looked at him and thought, well, no, that's not an option. That's not real. Right. And I just constantly felt like I could fix everything. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with my mom was uh, worked for a financial institution. Okay. So I grew up with money being a topic right. and she always tried to teach us how to have really healthy financial um, habits. Mm -hmm. And my sister was better at it than I was. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, she would was really big into the education piece of it, which was great, but not um, from the business perspective. And right. I've always been able to take more risks than she could. So yeah. And I had, at this point, I had borrowed money from her to open Souls of Whitmore. So we had closed Souls of Whitmore and I'm like, I'll still pay you back, mom. Yep. And um, then I had to call her and be like, we're done. I'm yeah. closing the store. And so she knew what that meant. Yeah. And she had said to me, well, Chelsea, you're about to go through the hardest thing you've ever gone through. Mm. And to me in that moment, I was like, okay, am I missing something? Because the bankruptcy word didn't bother me as much. And yep. from her perspective, I was confused because at that point I had, I had gone through a divorce. I had gone through um, an ectopic pregnancy miscarriage. Mm. And it's like, this can't be the hardest thing I've gone through. Yeah. And it still isn't for me personally. Yeah. But it's yeah. tough. But it's tough. Yeah. So tell me about if I'm that listener at home being like, okay, then what was bankruptcy like? Tell us what bankruptcy was like for you. Okay. So we, when we started the process, um, I called my stepdad. He is um, an investment advisor and he kind of got us on the right direction. Okay. And he, it was a huge help having him um, because he was like, okay, when you pick your um, insolvency 
advisor, you're going to be stuck with them for like five to seven years. Oh, okay. So you're going to have a really close relationship with these people. So I suggest that you go and interview them first. Oh, cool. And then, um, and pick who you like. And so he had set up three meetings for us and we ended up going with the first person that we met. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was Pam and Lindsay at MNP. They took out all of the, the stigma and the, there's no judgment. They're like, okay, this is normal. This is, um, these are your options and this is what you, what we can look at. And they looked at the options also of not doing bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. So what I learned was there's a consumer proposal and there is bankruptcy. So I went the route of consumer proposal. So when you have a, when you're in a situation like this, you can go completely bankrupt and you pay just a small portion back to your trustee over a certain time frame. Mm. Or a consumer proposal is where essentially you're consolidating all of your debt. You're going to all of your debtors and saying, I will pay you X percentage Mm -hmm. of this debt, which in my case, they would get, they would have got more Mm -hmm. out of it than if I had claimed bankruptcy, they would have got a much lesser percentage. Right. So in my circumstance, it worked out that they got 18%, I think, of what I owed. Right. And um, if I had claimed bankruptcy, they would have got 14%. So gotcha. it's kind of a no brainer. Yeah. Um, but that was an interesting, interesting way to look at it. And it, it affects your credit rating differently. And there's a, there's a few things that are a little bit different from a consumer proposal and bankruptcy. Okay, pause. Whew. We're starting to get into some pretty technical stuff. And I want to make sure we're all keeping up with what Chelsea means when she's talking about opting for a consumer proposal instead of filing for bankruptcy. Let's slow this down and clear this up before we move on. I reached out to one of our managers of financial services. His name is Sani and he works out of the crossing branch in Regina. I asked him what the differences are between filing for bankruptcy and a consumer proposal and how they affect you differently. This is what he had to say. The difference between a bankruptcy and a consumer proposal is that in a consumer proposal, your trustee will assist you in preparing the proposal which essentially is an offer to pay your creditors a percentage of what you currently owe them or extend the time you have to pay. Whereas in a bankruptcy, once you've been declared bankrupt, your trustee sells your assets, except for those that are exempted by federal and provincial laws, and holds those in trust to be distributed to creditors. Both of these are completed with the licensed insolvency trustee. How do these affect you differently? Well, a consumer proposal allows you to keep more of your assets Um, If further, a consumer proposal impacts your credit less as it comes off your credit bureau in three years after you complete the proposal or six years after you sign the proposal, whichever is first. On the flip side, a bankruptcy is coming off of your credit bureau six years after the date you are discharged. Another way it impacts you differently is that in a consumer proposal, you are required to make fixed payments Whereas in a bankruptcy, you may only have to make payments based on your income being over a threshold. Both of these options allow you to hit reset after financial struggles and get on the path of financial well-being. Okay, that clears things up. So just to recap, Chelsea has made the difficult decision to close Code Cade's doors. She was advised to move forward with the consumer proposal, which is an option similar to bankruptcy. And now we learn of the aftermath. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, I find it interesting that insolvency, whether it is a consumer proposal or bankruptcy, 
is such a taboo topic with so many people because it's actually quite common, especially in 2020. For instance, an article CBC posted this past August said, and I quote, a record number of companies have sought creditor protection under COVID-19 and more are on the way. 22 major Canadian companies sought creditor protection in May and June, almost four times the typical pace. Wow. And they also said a slew of high-profile insolvencies in Canada since COVID-19 began include clothing companies Reitman's and Franken Oak, shoe seller Aldo, hot drink seller David's Tea, entertainment company Cirque du Soleil, so you won't be costume designing for them anytime soon, travel agency Flight Hub, and various oil companies. Also, one more stat for you. The government of Canada reported in June that in the last 12 months that the total number of insolvencies, so that's both bankruptcies and proposals for both consumers and businesses, was just over 125,000. That's a lot. That's a lot. So it's... Wow. So this is a conversation that financial and insolvency advisors have all the time, but I'm sure it's impossible to not feel shame and a feeling of failure when you have these conversations, but it's truly in your head because these people have these conversations all the time. It's kind of like why so many people are afraid to get physicals because they don't want to like bear it all for their doctors, but these doctors see it all every day. They've likely seen it worse and they want to help you. Yeah, absolutely. One of the, I had been advised to talk to a specific lawyer during the process before we chose to go with MNP. And he said, well, why are you going with an advisor? They're really expensive because out of that payment that you pay them as well. Yeah. And he said, you could just, you're business people. You can handle this on your own, do yeah. your own consumer proposal. And that was probably the worst advice that yeah. I didn't follow. That's like saying, just buy a house without a more, without a realtor because you need somebody that kind of is an expert there because you're paying a little bit more, but the amount that you're saving from making your own mistakes along the way. Absolutely. They have, it's been such a positive experience if yeah. I can say that. Absolutely. Never thought I'd hear positive experience and bankruptcy right? in the same sentence. Well, with the like, with the stigma of it, you definitely, once you get over the like, okay, I've failed feeling like you, they go through the process and they teach you things, you mm -hmm. know, like it's, I didn't, I'm very open about talking about my consumer proposal because yeah. I don't feel like it's a, that negative of a thing to me personally. Right. Okay. I don't have a credit card. Yeah. I can't get a mortgage or a loan for the next five years. And maybe some people might look at it as a bad, I'm a bad business person or something. I don't right. really care what other people see it as because for me, I've believed so much in my business that yeah. I put everything at it yeah. and I don't feel bad that I believed in my business and it didn't work out yeah. I do I recommend it as an option absolutely not yeah. like but I do think it's really important conversation to have when you look at it from the perspective of like how much are you willing to lose yeah. and it's so easy when you believe in your business to sign a personal guarantee yeah that lesson has you, you really want to know like when you're signing a personal guarantee what does that mean what in the long term because you think when you're doing that you don't you believe in your business or yourself so much and the the idea you're like this is foolproof mm -hmm. like regina doesn't have one of these we're doing so well mm -hmm. like of course i'm gonna buy into this and i'll i'll see the red flags before it's too late totally yeah that's so true hey you never see it until it's almost too late yeah. and you never you always expect the situation to stay the same like who knew that 
online shopping was going to take off the way it is and completely normalize the shopping experience for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. We don't know. So you talked about um, credit rating and things like that. So what are the long-term impacts of filing for bankruptcy? So depending on bankruptcy and consumer proposal, it's different for everybody and how much you owe. Um, For me specifically, the term that my advisor uses is I'm with them. Right. You can't see my air quotes on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. But we, so I'll work with them, meaning I will pay them back monthly a small harsh portion of what they're paying the creditors. Okay. And so they're like a trustee. So I pay them back and then they pay all of the creditors. Mm. Um, and then also we do, um, with a consumer proposal, you do advise, uh, financial advising. So I sit with them two different times yep. and we talk about... Um, how to better plan your finances. Right. And it this it's not super relevant because it's personal finance versus yep. business finance, but it's been a really, really good experience. That sounds nice. Yeah. It's yeah. Like a benefit. She, she she's always apologizing, like, sorry, you have to like hang out with me for an hour. I'm like, yeah, yeah let's do this. Yeah. You got your notepad, you're like, take tell me more. I don't want to be in this situation again, whether right. it's personal or business wise. Mm-hmm. So I'm absorbing it all and learning from it. And that's the best thing about failure yeah, right if totally. you're if you're brave and you try something if you fail it's okay because it's a learning experience absolutely i didn't i it took me a long time to get there that's yeah, a fail forward for sure so you talked about credit cards like yes. what happens with credit cards and credit rating and things like that so all my credit cards went away overdraft protection is gone i can't apply for a credit card and so there's new products like prepaid credit cards yep. that you can use, but I'm learning I travel a lot for my new job yep. and um, you can't rent a car or get a hotel room. You without. can't get a hotel room. Yeah. So you have to pay like quite a decent amount of cash up front and then you get it returned after, but uh, you have to have that cash. Right. So like you have to prove it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to give them a large chunk of money depending on the, on the hotel. Right. So those are the two things that, it, how it's impacted me very recently. Yeah. Um, but not having a credit card is such a good tool for managing your personal finances yeah, and getting back lot, on track. That's a lot of accountability, like personal accountability. Absolutely. Hey? Yeah. So these are some really great learnings. So what's something that you didn't know about bankruptcy before, but now you know about? Oh, great question. I'd say the biggest thing I didn't know about bankruptcy before is that it's real yeah. and that it can happen to real people, but it's an option to learn really important lessons. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's a it's a weird thing. It's a conversation I never in a million years thought I would be having. Yeah, when I asked that question, I was expecting like a statistical answer almost like, oh, I learned that 2% of blah, blah, blah. But it's nice to hear that it's it's more of like a personal learning and a perspective lens rather than I learned that you can't have a credit card anymore after bankruptcy. So that's awesome. That's a great answer. Shifting back from the bankruptcy lens to what you learned about your experience with Coda and Cade and being an entrepreneur, what did you learn about the community during your time with Coda and Cade? Oh, wow. Um, Because I was very afraid of letting people down, um, we knew we had too many gift cards out there and not enough product. Yeah. So I knew that people would be out there with gift cards and that sucked. Yeah. That sucked a lot because I really, really do truly, truly care about our customers. And 
I actually ended up changing Arcade Style Lounge Instagram account into more of like a personal thing because I really wanted to stay connected to these people. Right. And the people who have chose to stay connected have been like not people I expected. And it's been so much fun to be able to see these people who shopped with us for 11 years. And I they it's cool to see that they care about myself and Coulter. Right. Just as much as I cared about them. Yeah. When we had posted that we were closing or announced that we were closing the outpour, like the comments, I couldn't keep up with them. Yeah. The amount of people that were, you know, there was people who I didn't n- even know personally that were sharing it and being like, it's like a call to action. Like, come on city, you need to support local. Yeah. And that made me feel great. Yep. I hope that our old customers are still supporting other local businesses. Right. Um, but we had great customers. Absolutely. So what did you learn about yourself with your run with Code and Cade? I think the biggest thing I cannot stress this enough um, is to be brave and not perfect. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit of a female specific lens, but yeah. I think that we grow up thinking we have to be perfect in every perspective of our life. And whether that's like super clean house, your kids are put together. Yeah healthy home-cooked organic meals and your business is profitable and you drive fancy cars and your hair's perfect and you're you look a certain way you know like it's I've really had to shed the need to be perfect yeah and it's it's a lifelong learning process I'm thinking yeah but what I've learned the most important thing in life is to be brave and not perfect totally it's almost like your bankruptcy is your battle scar absolutely in a way and obviously not recommending go bankrupt, but it is that perspective and that personal accountability with what comes with the long-term af- or effects of it. It just, that's unique to you and that's your story. And it's a reminder that you took that chance and you jumped at, at your dream. Yeah, absolutely. Like I don't, I'm not out there saying like bankruptcy is the best uh, thing that the, ever happened the to The best me. thing that happened yeah. or that you should just do it because it's there and it's an option. You know, it's, you know, the same as, maybe taking unemployment insurance or something like that. It's, it's there if you need it um, as long as you learn from it and you're not using it as a crutch. And hopefully I never have to do this again. Right. But I did learn that lots of people file for bankruptcy multiple times in their life. Yes, absolutely. So what's next for Chelsea? What's next? Um, Oh, I've been lucky enough career wise to get two really awesome jobs. Uh, some people hoarded toilet paper during COVID. I yeah. hoarded jobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I am working with a really cool retail um, company called Farmer Jane Cannabis. Okay. And I knew nothing about that world before yeah. entering it. But what I do know is that I love retail and I love people. Right. And it's a really cool locally owned company who believe in people and investing in the community. And all of my values are, you know, it checks all the boxes for me. Yeah. And it's been a whirlwind and it's been super fun. Um, and then I'm also part-time in Assiniboia Art Gallery. And yeah. um, Assiniboia Art Gallery is, it fuels my soul. Yeah. Being around art and the people and it's it's a great place. So Regina is really cool. I, I end up working for two small businesses. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like I said before, when you play Monopoly, bankrupt equals game over and your game is clearly not over. You have two jobs that you sound like you're very passionate about you have a, you have a family so was this process what you thought it was going to be and what did you think that like when you made the decision to file for bankruptcy is this what you thought it would be like well absolutely not I felt 
desperate and I felt like a real big loser yeah. at first for yeah. sure. And I, you know, it's so hard. Like I hadn't ever really applied for a job and I was like, who is going to hire somebody who has failed their business and has gone bankrupt? Like no one's going to trust me. And, um, I did know a lot of people told me, and I did know deep down that one day I would see the light at the end of the tunnel and mm. that I would look at this as a good thing. Some people did say that I would see that light and I thought it would take years. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it would take weeks. Yeah. Like it literally was a week and the world shut down. Right. And I was so grateful to not be trying to pick up the pieces of my business through COVID-19. The, yeah. Through the pandemic. It it would have been impossible yeah. and not because I didn't, don't believe in myself, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it would have been hard. And all the things that were, we were saying before we closed that were so great yeah. are all still there, yeah. you know? And if you can have gratitude in your life, it's pretty easy to get through the tough stuff. Yeah. That's a good way to end it. Um, so before you go, we're going to go with some quick hitters, some quick connections. I'm going to ask you 10 questions. Oh, I'm not going to give you any time to think about them, but they're just another way to connect with you on some fun um, life stuff. All right. So start with the first one. What's the craziest or funniest thing you've ever heard your daughter say? <laughs> I just eye rolled podcasts. Can't see yeah. that either. She is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, when she was two, this was last summer, but she couldn't say spaghetti squash she would say squatty wash (laughs) and it's just stuck like squatty wash is a vegetable we grow now in our our garden as you should that's awesome um what's something you just learned that you should have known about before um well this morning when i was leaving the house i was concerned because i didn't notice some letters on my uh car screen before and it said obo and i was like what does that mean what's going on (laughs) my car's dying it Oh, Odeo. Yeah. Oh, odometer. That's yeah. all it was. Oh, it's just the odometer. Yeah. Mine is macadamia nut. I thought it was macadamia nut. Ah. It's macadamia. Macadamia. That's yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, we talked about Monopoly, but what's your favorite board game? Oh, I love Monopoly. Yeah. I, I really do. Um, also Battleship. Yeah. That's a good one. Easy one to do too. Yep. Um, what's the best decision you ever made? The best decision I ever made, I think, like I'm on year 20 of being a vegetarian. Oh, wow. And I I would say that's the best decision I've ever made. It was something, a decision I made when I was really young and yeah. truly knew myself. Yeah. And it's really stuck with me. And we try to eat as plant-based as possible at home. 20 years. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Good for you. Thanks. Uh, Saskatchewan is blank. Like mm. The fourth time I've seen you have an eye roll mid mid question. Guess what my most used emoji is? Yeah, the eye roll. <laughs> um, Saskatchewan is hopeful. Oh, that's a good one. You want me to leave it at that? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's real good. Um, no, I want to hear why 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 would you say Saskatchewan is hopeful? Like a lot of other young people, I think that Saskatchewan can be a very frustrating place to live especially Mm -hmm. with how much we travel um, and we see the opportunities in other provinces or countries but there's something that keeps us here Mm -hmm. and um, we're new we're learning I I find hope in that we can be the best place in Canada to live yeah 
That's a good one. And no disrespect to Kirk or Krista, but that's that's the top answer we've had to that question so far, for sure. Um, what is your most memorable Halloween costume? I've had some good ones, yeah? Jason. Hit um, me with them. Well, probably my most memorable was, it has to be the most memorable because I spent an entire semester in fashion school making yeah. it. But it was my costume I had made for my haute couture class. So mm. there was a lot of love yeah. that went into that baby. It was uh, Alice in Wonderland. Okay. And there was an obnoxious amount of um, hand stitching. It was corseted yeah. and there was, the skirt was huge. Yeah. Um, so that's probably my favorite favorite and then also um Edie's first Halloween costume I made it was yeah. she was a skunk nice. and it was real good how did you make that decision like skunk Edie equals she's skunk a, she's a little stinker <laughs> yeah that's cute yeah I would not want to go toe-to-toe with you in a costume design competition knowing your your costume design background yeah Coulter wouldn't let me make costumes this year yeah we're trying like, to this like time management thing and <laughs> yeah so the kids got store-bought for the first time oh, ever but wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah. um what food makes you think of home mashed potatoes oh good one with gravy no gravy and vegetarian oh right yeah i did just get a new cookbook though that has a vegetarian gravy so i'll let you know if that's yeah a okay i'm weird though but because i don't eat turkey yeah i put and i love cranberries so yep. i put cranberries on my mashed potatoes I think you could put anything on mashed potatoes and it would work so somehow. good. My mom makes the best mashed potatoes. Everyone also says like, no, my mom makes the best right? mashed potatoes. Yeah. Um, what's on your nightstand? An essential oil diffuser. Mm-hmm. Six books that I'm in the middle of. Yeah. yeah. And my phone charger. Yeah. Good one. Um, and finally, what connects us? I'm expecting a good one after the, the Saskatchewan is hopeful. Right. Um, communication and vulnerability. Yeah, that's a good one, especially since this entire interview. I think you've been very vulnerable, and I appreciate um, all the tidbits of Chelsea that that you offered to us. Yeah, I'm kind of a open book here. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe too much information. It was awesome, but yeah. I think that the most you know, it's such a huge part of Saskatchewan too, is the community and the people, and our quality of life really depends on the people we surround ourselves with. And if we can be vulnerable and listen to each other. Life just gets better. 1,000%. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. This has been great. I've learned a ton. And not just about you, but also about uh, bankruptcy as well. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Mason. You bet. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. If you like the podcast, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe or follow button and give the post a like, comment, or share. We'll see you in two weeks. Till then, Chelsea and I are going to go play Monopoly. Woo!